0: First episode of Tales from the Cthulhu Scene. My name is Molly Joche, and I'll be your host guiding you through the tentacular web that is living in the end of the Anthropocene. The term Cthulhu scene was coined by Donna Haraway in her book Staying with the Trouble, Making Kin in the Cthulhu Scene, and is essentially a multimedia approach to understanding science, art, ecology, and the environment that seeks to mess things up with collaborative endeavors and interspecies kinship. This podcast is going to be an evolving experiment that will showcase artists, short-form fiction, experiments, and music of people working transdisciplinarily. This podcast will be a way for me to organize my thoughts while working at the CRISPR Institute, the residency at The Reef that I'll be in until summer of 2020 and hopefully continue beyond this project. I'm recording this intro on January 5th, 2020. Not even a full week into the new year and I've been bedridden for two days with a cold, found out that John Baldessari, one of my greatest art influences has died. Australia has lost nearly half a billion of its animals with the horrible fires that have erupted. And now everyone is concerned that World War III is imminent. While my efforts as an artist, science enthusiast, and community builder are small, I'm hoping to archive the voices and ideologies of people who matter to me during a time which is filled with such contention, hostility, and pain. While many people find archives to be dry and boring and to take up space, I find them to be romantic gestures. Archives seek to preserve and maintain something beyond death. To hoard is to be overly sentimental to archive is to be constructive with that sentimentality. In honor of the new year and it being a time for new beginnings, this episode, in addition to being about the Cthulhu scene, will also be about portals, partially as an excuse for my poor podcasting editing learning curve, but also as a way to redirect and harness energy. I received a series of Instagram audio recordings from painter and yogi Shay Vitito about what these portals mean, and I think it makes a great addition to the upcoming interview with performer Colin Self.
1: Okay, so a portal is somewhere that can link you from this dimension into the other dimensions, and we can even talk about the multiverse and string theory. During these times of, like... We could say, like, auspicious things or, like, weird patterns, like um, something that's really rare, um, like a solar or lunar eclipse. You don't even have to think of it as, like, astrology, like, oh, when the planets align. It's just, like, something rare happening like that that's in nature. This is, like, quote-unquote, when the veil is thin, like a portal between the multiple dimensions think like old school hollows eve like the veil is thin some things don't have bodies some things don't have bodies anymore some things aren't even on this planet but we can be like radios picking up the signal also we can even talk about like the third eye opening and that actually being like somewhere where you see these things These portals for you are like on the eclipse and on the solar eclipse coming up um, this year. They can just be energy for you to power up with, especially as an artist, like something that you can harness into um, like intelligent energy, like something to manifest into your work, something to manifest into your life. And then that's why I was telling you on the last solar eclipse that we had, it was the first time in history that the NFL did, like, three games in one day. And Hari g one was talking about, like, kids disappearing in, like, black magic and them possibly using the portals of the eclipse for bad things. But... And then, you know, you have in history um, cultures that did sacrifices because they thought that... That's what you needed to do in order to create power, but that's not what you need to do. All you have to do is meditate during these times.
2: Genetically engineered uh, <laughs> animal meat. <laughs> Am I what? Is Is your, is your CRISPR running? Your CRISPR running. All right. So should I should I get it
3: going? Yeah, let's get into it.
2: Okay. Um, so I guess I'm going to go into my weird form, formal voice now. Um, okay. okay, so this is Colin Self. Uh, he's going to be my first guest on Tales from the Cthulhu Scene, and I'm very happy to have him with me today. Um, we went to the School of art Institute of Chicago, and that's where we met in the performance art department. Uh, where we took a media and performance collaboration class together. Colin now lives in Berlin, very far from me, but every once in a while I get to see him and perform (laughs) and uh, makes music and travels the globe and is such an amazing tour de force. I'm so happy that Colin's here with me today.
3: Say hi. <laughs> hi. I'm so happy to be here. It's an honor and a joy to be <laughs> talking to you. I'm I didn't I'm I'm the initiatory, I'm the first one. You're the first
2: one. I wanted you to be the first one um, because I wanted you to be someone I would talk to you about the Cthulhu scene and then from there uh, I'm going to go into topics. So You know, there'll be one about seeds or, you know, genetic engineering. But I wanted you as someone who brings together so many beautiful, amazing people and brings together so many ideas uh, to be kind of my my uh, my friend in the journey.
3: (laughs) You will. Wonderful! I'm <laughs> I'm happy to be with that. Let me be specimen number one.
2: <laughs> You're number one, number one in my heart, and number one oh. in in my crystalline journey. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. The feeling is mutual. So I I guess like the last time I saw you, we were doing um, a performance of is it is it correct to say the siblings tour um, at naval or how how do you yeah. describe it? Because, like, you have the album and then um, you tour solo and then you also uh, invite people to perform with you as
3: well. Yeah, I, I mean, so, like, Siblings was the sort of, like, sixth and final opera from uh, this series called The Elation Series. And I kind of, like, misused the word opera intentionally to kind of like give space and permission for that word to like transform a little bit I guess over the years but um, I guess what happened with the siblings is that you know I made this kind of like ensemble version with these um, four collaborators uh, Lyra Pramek, Lexi Welch, Tara Toshina and Sam Banks and then you know the sort of like circumstance and reality of making like a show with people who live in different cities is that you then have i I was like okay so like i made this kind of um performance that's very much about like collectivity and trying to sort of survive on a damaged planet together and then i was kind of forced to kind of then take that sort of same story on my own out into the world and try to I guess just like create these kind of temporary assemblies of people that could kind of like to kind of I guess have like a a very short term version of the same thing to kind of make meaning or build the kind of microcosm of experience um, for people to also then like Get to know each other and experience something um, special yeah, and then...
2: because I yeah. I didn't even know, um, like, Martine was going to be performing when uh, you did your performance at Naval. And so it was, like, such a great, like, little, um, I guess, tie together into your universe to have, you know, someone, like join you. uh, That was like part of creating it and like
3: Yeah.
2: Sort of almost like
3: a surprise. Yeah, you know, like Martine is such a big part of actually Martine is one of the only people that's been in multiple Elation performances like the first time I ever performed in LA when I did like Elation 4 um, Mm -hmm. it was Martine was a part of this ensemble and it was like the first time Martine never did like a singing performance and then like a big part of our relationship has been like about the voice and singing and about yeah, like non bio family, like deep, deep cosmic sibling, I guess you could say like we're like, um, but yeah, then, you know, also like I think being in Los Angeles was also in some ways a homecoming because like multiple people, including Martine are so, so like, like, written into that record and I hadn't had a chance to sort of perform or do anything together since it had come, or we had, to- Martin and I had did like one thing in London when the song kind of or when the album was about to come out, but like otherwise um, yeah, it was like great, it was like it felt it, you know, I think also I just have a lot of non-biological kin that live in LA, so to be back there felt
2: Amazing. Yeah, let's talk about the non-bio kin, because you come from a large family, so, you know, you have quite a bit of, like, actual kin, but, you know, as we've kind of come out of uh, Thanksgiving, and uh, some of us uh, have strange... Uh, issues with our own bio family. Uh, It's nice to have Mm -hmm. non-bio king (laughs) to to rely on.
3: (laughs) For sure. Yeah, you know, I feel like it's real. I think, you know, we... The thing that sort of got me interested in this idea to begin with was just like, you know, I guess Donna Haraway's probing of the nuclear family and the sort of a uh, pandemic of like recursive storytelling that exists with family structures and in trying to sort of draw forward new models into the future of potential and ways of relating to n- people who are maybe not or just creatures that might not be your um biological family um was like a really inspiring place to start. A siblings journey to sort of be like and also in many ways that it sort of feels foretelling of the future as like we have like really challenging conversations about reproduction and climate change and um yeah the future of like what families will be um as like the world continues to like travel
2: yeah, I mean, I feel this, like, like
3: entropic-
2: the <laughs> way that yeah. my life is going, I'm just gonna be like a Mad Max solo uh, driver with a dingo, you
3: know, like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, that's interesting, like the dog or like the non-human, you know, like that's, that's also such a big part of it. Like, I, I also feel like I will have. I hope I could say I have a little dingo. I feel like you need an
2: animal that's more portable because you're always on the on the go. You know, you need like a, I know. Like a what? giant leech what? or something yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> commune with you. A leech.
3: <laughs>
2: Hi, this is my leech. <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah, I mean, there's, we're there's commuting now.
2: Case, I, <laughs> I mean, mean, I I, 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 uh, I love yeah. leeches, uh, but like like uh, just I'm thinking about something that had more portability because um, it also can like attach to the body.
3: Yeah. Anything that could like stay with you, you know, it's glam for sure. Like getting flying around the world to like do your music and stuff. But like if you're not able to like connect with people and have like intimate personal experiences, um, transformative experiences uh, with other people, then like you kind of don't it's not as rewarding so even kind of now that like the siblings chapter is kind of coming to an end I'm definitely aware of like that in the future I want to sort of build upon that and uh, yeah find out like how else I can kind of be a connecting um, agent uh, between like many worlds Uh,
2: yeah and I think that translates to like how like the music um, is made to like, there's so much world building with like how you are composing your songs and like what, what kind of playfulness that you're putting into things and where things can become very serious and things become more operatic um, or things just become like pure noise. And like, I feel like you have become someone who's able to take music and think about it in a way that is almost like um like well like the making kin and like being able to bring things that are you know not of the same species and put them together and create something Mm -hmm. full of harmony and also full of a little bit of chaos sometimes too um yeah. And I, I Yeah, yeah, like, for sure. Like I I wonder if like that's part of like what what was appealing to you with um Donna Haraway's work was this sort of like messiness because like sorry, I'm going to make some critical noises. Um no, you fine. Like uh keeping with the trouble is like an interesting concept because it's not necessarily like when I think of art and science collaborations, for example, usually scientists just want artists to illustrate what they're talking about. And I'm more interested in like artists pointing out issues that are happening with like data and like talking about it on a deeper kind of messy level. And like when you bring so many people in, you become a conductor of like harmony and disharmony. And I think it's a really moving experience to watch you perform and also just to listen to how these narratives weave uh, in your album.
3: Thank you. That's, at uh, first, that's uh, terrific to, to generous of you. I really, I really appreciate like, your, <laughs> these words. It's like, yeah, like a huge part of, um, the origin of all of this had this idea of like and this is so Cthulhu but it was like being many and it's not a metaphor that like uh you know both as the ent- like human entities that we are and then um with others that there's it's sort of like I've always sort of felt like um a cont- like a container itself is like a problem. It, it pre- presents itself to me as like a, a problem to sort of make an in- a duality, but like there's an inside and there's an outside. Um, and uh, I think I struggled at first with sort of this idea of making a finite album, being like, oh, right, so there has to be like a start and a finish to this record. And now I'm actually, I, I you know, I, I had this like, I did, like, a little follow-up EP, and now I'm also making this, like, little mix for NTS that'll be sort of, like, so many other weird little sketches and sounds and conversations and things that, like, didn't make their way into the record...
2: How do you think about like humor and like um bringing in different types of performance into your practice like it's not just like an opera when you like when i watch you perform it's like there's some um kind of like you know was, were we doing head banging i can't remember <laughs> <Everything>. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we were Banging yeah, no, and like throwing books and like lighting things and like projection and dancing and singing like it had everything.
3: <laughs> yeah, you know, I, if there's one thing that I kind of like about the world of opera, which I don't actually really like opera, I've, I've come to find it's like very rare that I like opera. Like, um, but there's if there's one thing I like, it's the sort of like culmination of just so many things that you have like things to be playful about to like when we're sort of talking about the coexistence or confluence of like anger and sadness and joy and um I don't know, frustration and yeah, you know, it's like the coexistence of these things is like it that's yeah, it's it is messy and like I kind of appreciate the sort of circumstances in which you're able to like create space for those things to all be with each other in the room um, and get permission for grief or sadness as much as there is permission for like joy and rage and like joyous rage and yeah. There, there was a
2: moment, yeah, when you were performing where I was like, oh man, that book's going to hit someone in the face, but that was so exciting. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah. I like danger, too. I know, it's like, you know, danger is real. Some people really don't like that.
2: Yeah. Well, I don't want to hang out with them. No. <laughs> yeah, i
3: uh, I'm kind of like, well, I was like, if you're scared of this, like, especially, if, yeah, I was like, Like, there was really a time, actually, like, right after the election where, like, people were so sensitive and did not want anything that felt dangerous because everyone was so fragile.
1: Yeah. And I remember
3: thinking to myself, you know, people need the capacity to be, um, I don't know.
2: I felt like that, too, but I also felt like after the election, people were really sensitive to, um, narratives that combined truth and fiction. Um, and so anybody who was presenting like a fake news, like was being considered like under like the umbrella of Trump. And it's like, no, that's like creative writing. Like just because someone has used it like a knife doesn't still mean it can't be used like a form of expression that isn't tainted and yeah it Mm -hmm. seemed like there was a lot of people that were really um into like either highly symbolic work or like work that was incredibly hard to decipher because if you had something that was sort of messy or was straddling like real and unreal then it became like a potential to be propaganda and i always thought that was like so interesting and like limiting as an artist because i love to like pretend that i have more power than i do and like have more agency than i do and like kind of joke that when people believe that like
3: (laughs) (laughs) So for sure, <laughs> yeah, no, I that's like this really inconvenient anxiety, I feel like, or displaced like anxiety too, of being like, yeah, almost like people were like, we need you to tell the truth because it's so hard to understand what is real right now.
2: Do you think of your performance practice as a way of trying to like organize this chaos? Like uh i've always i remember like watching you play like eight versions of like laura dern and like Uh (laughs) it was the most amazing thing i'd seen because you like tied all of these worlds together into like one laura dern like um, <laughs> I guess major narrative um, and I'm like I guess I'm, I'm like wondering like with all of these like stresses like as a performer I'm usually trying to like compartmentalize them into bite sizes that I can share with an audience and like kind of Mm mean, uh, it's almost like alchemy, you know, like turning the shit into gold. Mm -hmm. And like, do you kind of think about your practice like that sometimes, or is there a different type of alchemy you're trying to perform?
3: I think I'm, I'm always interested in sort of, I guess the alchemy of, um, I mean, global transfiguration. Sort of like thinking about the fact that, like, we are seemingly, um, you know, like I think we we so frequently forget our agency as, like, or like that we are agents of change within, like, global, like beyond global, like universal or like in a universe change that, like, we really don't know. I mean, there's 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 lots of Speculative theory about like I don't know you can you can take any kind of poetic pathway from sort of this idea of like the thing that we are or that we experience has effects out in this world but I think I'm sort of interested in both showing how much you can do or change within a tiny like through this idea of my, making a world that like we have great capacity to kind of open and close portals and mm-hmm. I very much believe that every performance or like not every performance but a lot of times performances themselves are portals and you are creating a, a pathway to another universe temporarily in performance and. Sometimes those portals close and they're gone forever, and that's how it's supposed to be. And sometimes those portals open up a channel that, like, will never close again, and that's both like a good and a bad thing. You know, like, um,
2: like the releasing of a C- Cthulhu. <laughs> what, what's that This is like the releasing of a Cthulhu. Uh, <laughs> you're yeah, opening
3: exactly. up a portal. <laughs> a releasing Cthulhu into. Yeah. And also I think, you know, so much of it has to do with human cognition and, you know, it's so much, I think if there's something I'm interested in transforming or moving, it's like human consciousness. How do we, how do we cognate differently in this time when, you know, something that's very much at risk is our ability to like agency over our thoughts and to feel as though we are, we have some kind of semblance of, I don't know, or a capacity to kind of determine what is coming for us. Um, yeah, I both believe the that like, there is a lot that that is not under our control, and there are things that are very much under our control. Here I know we can.
0: trees.
2: like, a, I guess, like, opened a portal that you didn't want opened, like um, uh, performance or collaboration or, like,
3: question. huh? I, I said it's a good question. I mean, I think, I'm trying to think if I've ever opened a portal that I didn't. That. I think not. I feel like I can kind of say that all the portals that I've I feel responsible for were ones that, like, needed to happen, and even if at the time it seemed like, oh, shit, what is this crazy portal, um, its purpose was then revealed shortly thereafter. Oh, that's good, um,
2: so no, yeah. uh, no, um, mouths opening up unless they're deserved. <laughs>
3: right. Except- <laughs> Um, I kind of, I
2: wanted to uh, talk to you about, we were talking about it earlier before I started recording, but like your ideas about um, the voice and uh, I guess like brain activity and like what your thoughts were around that. Uh, I know that Mm -hmm. you're just starting some of it, um, but it was really exciting to hear about, I guess, some of your ideas about voice. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. my, I come from like my mom's a singer and I've always had like a weird relationship with singing because it's tied very emotionally to my my existence. So when I sing, it's like really like, okay, this is like a connection to my family almost. And so mm-hmm. I can understand that pretty easily, but I guess I'm interested in like hearing your ideas around voice and you know it's it's important in your performance
3: yeah I mean I think what first got me into the voice was just the sort of I guess a few things one of which being that like the voice is very much like a very freeing thing like singing is very freeing we're kind of trapped in these bodies all the time um which are so finite and um The voice is like this, it's you, but it's not you, or it's like slightly outside of you, or it was at one point yours, and then it sort of can be recorded and can be transformed. So I was originally into the voice in that regard as sort of like this very metaphysical thing that the human body does, like the fact that we can produce these sounds, but also like, you know, other, we have eardrums, we are supposed to we're supposed to make these sounds and we're supposed to hear them. Um, and then, you know, I think over the years started to find that like a lot of my interests or curiosities as it were, as it relates to singing or the voice, like has it's shared by so many other people who are also like, I don't know, uh, have a metaphysical relationship to the voice or feel, um, Somehow, like thematically, uh, artistically, creatively, attached to some kind of like thing about the voice being like a a vessel, or like a a way by which the vessel of the body is able to kind of like do things. It's also like um, there's like mythology that singing predates. Speaking, but it's like a pre-language thing. Um, song predates language, but I guess of recently the thing that I've really been into um, was—I I mean, I think what started with reading Ann Carson's *The Gender of Sound*, which was like very much about how our how we listen are kind of—and that was also born out of like the and deep listening, but just sort of looking at the politics of listening and hearing, and how we perceive voices as it relates to sort of like power and hierarchy in the world and relationships and race, class, gender, you name it. Um, and then that kind of led me, you know, once I started doing this kind of research into the vagus nerve or the 10th cranial nerve, this kind of parasympathetic central nervous system that runs through the throat, I was like, oh, so like the voice is also deeply related to how we feel. Like, um, a very literal sense being that like, you know, when we are in extreme fear or sadness or joy, like we uncontrollably make sounds with our vocal cords. Like that's The vagus nerve kind of reacting and doing something, Um, and that there is some real correlations between um, stress and trauma as it relates to the voice, especially for minorities. So I think about often, like, the workers' songs or the history of music being made by slaves throughout the world, and that so often, like, you can kind of see the roots of a lot of music and a lot of singing coming from a place of trying to heal or trying to survive. Okay. And it kind of got me also then looking at group singing as it relates to such and then sort of like, you know, singing also being this thing where it has to group singing where everyone is when when you have a group of people who are all singing, um, everyone is touching everyone. Not in like a creepy way, but like everyone is emitting sound from their body and those waves are hitting everyone in the room. Um, so you have this kind of weird way, like free um, cthulhu way in which like these organisms that are our bodies and the biomes within our bodies are kind of all able to communicate for a little duration of time when we sing together, yeah. And
2: also, like, the uniting, uh, like, <clears throat> with, like, harmonizing
3: or, like, uh... Yeah, or, sure.
2: like, um... contrast. The part of it.
3: And... Yeah, what? there's there's a tons of, um, research, but then also just, like, obvious human, human experience of, like, how it feels in the presence of harmony or to be a harmonizing body and, um, yeah. Or like the other myriad types of like non-Western harmonic, um, tonal relations. And, um, yeah, but like all different moments in history, like there is something, some kind of like, Knowledge or some or or like consciousness that's embedded in recordings made from different periods in history. Um, whether that's like a sonic recording, a uh, written score, uh, a sculpture that represents something, an instrument that was created. It's like all these different kind of recordings have have some kind of information. Um. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, but, no, it's spooky. Like, uh,
2: I guess before I you uh, finish up, um, like, oh, my dog's scratching her neck. Hey, Bob. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I guess I wanted to know, like, uh, if you could be locked away in a lab with any scientists, like, what scientists would you be interested in, like, picking their brain and working with?
3: I think mm, any scientist of any kind.
2: Any kind.
3: Um, <laughs> I don't know. Are we like? Is, is it? Is it? In a, are we? Do we have access to things, or are we like on a desert island? Because like if they have schools, it, it changes what.
2: I think that you have access to um, talking with them and you have access to looking at their lab work, too. Okay, in
3: that case, I think, yeah, I think it would be a neuroscientist. Neuroscientist. Um, Uh,
2: Because of the, the voice
3: connection? The voice connection and also the kind of, like, I guess, the sort of, like, world of, yeah, like, the brain as it processes sound and hearing. And, yeah, I guess it's sort of, like, how there's so much with sound, how it relates to how it makes meaning, how we understand the world kind of through the auditory um, and I.
2: I feel like also neuroscientists are like sort of um, like rock stars of science communities, you know, it's like you're trying to understand the thing that you're trying like trying to understand with. Like, <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> this is very close Yeah, you're like, How do I people? Right? Like, I'm using this thing that I'm trying to understand. <laughs> yeah, like, can anyone help? <laughs> yeah. And that's also very yeah. true, Buckaroo Banzai, uh, uh, ideal, too. Like, have you seen that movie? What's it called? Buckaroo Banzai? Uh, and it's a movie about Peter Weller is a neuroscientist by day and band guy by night. And he saves the world from bad aliens that he unlocks unintentionally when he drives a car through, uh, solid matter and, um, yeah, I feel like this would be totally up your alley. But yeah, Buckaroo Banzai, and I forgot this, the rest of it, but it's great. Jeff Goldblum's in it. He plays like a cowboy singer. Um, and like, uh, yeah, a neuroscientist singer.
3: Wow. Do you a fake know what my guess is eighty-seven, uh, but I'm gonna Google it. Ah, the adventures <laughs> of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension. Yeah. <laughs> is that, a, is that
2: a C4 or Is that it? That's it. Eighty-four. Okay, so a little earlier no. than I thought. But yeah, like, um, they're a uh, a group of uh, scientists that are trying to um, prevent, I guess, like the good aliens put the bad aliens in matter, which is already a pretty great uh, synopsis.
3: <laughs> wow. Thank you for this hit. I'm really into this, like, <laughs> neuroscientist bad boy.
2: Yeah, yeah. And it's Peter Weller who makes four expressions. So, it's also kind of funny. <laughs>
3: but, um, cool. Uh, yeah. I'm I'm, I'm looking at some uh,
2: images now. I'm I'm really excited. Well, thank you so much for coordinating with me with your schedule and like our time differences and um, like all of that uh, nuts kind of um, uh, life stuff. And of being,
3: course being it's a so part nice of the Cthulhu
2: scene. Oh
3: my goodness. I love I love being a part of the Cthulhu scene. Thank we're, you for having me.
2: We're building tentacles as we speak. Um I'm I going can feel to them uh forming the
3: back of my head. Huh? What did you say? I can feel them forming out the back of my head.
2: Oh yes. <laughs> <That's> creepy. <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> Colin. <laughs> Hi, Shani, Molly. and Zoom. Right. I think I'm going to stop the recording now, at least. <laughs> okay, perfect. Bye.
0: Big thanks to uh, Shay and Colin today, and also to Roger Kim, who did the intro music for Tales from Cthulhu scene. See you next week, where we'll be talking to Leah Hollerin.
3: It's on line one, calling about is everything okay with the alien space cloud from planet 10, or should he just go ahead and destroy Russia? Tell him yes
0: on one and no on two. Which was yes, destroy Russia or uh, number two?